Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Today, I want to talk to you about your partner. And if you guys fight over your child's anxiety or OCD, and this can be any partner, whoever you're partnering with to raise your child with anxiety or OCD, sometimes it's a fantastic thing. A lot of times it's a fantastic thing to feel like you're not in it alone. There's someone else who gets it. There's someone else you can tag team. You're, you've got someone who is collaborating with you and helping you with this. And sometimes it's not that perfect. (laughs) A lot of times it's not that perfect. And that's okay too, because we're all human. We have human relationships and human relationships sometimes bring disagreements and anxiety and OCD is not immune to those disagreements. It doesn't mean that you have a horrible, horrible relationship. It might mean that you just need some tweaking in this area. So we're going to talk today about some common ways this can show up and then some concrete ways in which you can start to improve this. Before we get started though, a couple announcements. One, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com, and I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. The other thing I want to remind you of is my self-care series for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. That's you. (laughs) It's starting soon. And it is a free series that I do twice a year. And a lot of parents sign up every single time I do it, which tells me it's a pretty good series because people are wanting to repeat it and take it over again. It's a great thing to do at the start of the new year to, you know, reset your, your, your mindset to remind yourself about your own mental and physical health, to reassess your support system. I break it all down. We go through it step-by-step. It's on demand. So if you're not able to show up live, it doesn't matter because there are videos that you can watch in your pajamas while the series is live um, or is active. I do have bonus Facebook live classes where we dive deeper. And I think that's a part of why people join it every time because those bonus classes are different each time, but those aren't even going to necessarily be only on Facebook. We'll be streaming them on the series website. So even if you're not on Facebook, join this free series because you will find value in it and you don't have to be on Facebook. You can sign up at atparentingsurvivalseries.com and I look forward to getting to know you over there. Okay. So let's dive into this topic. It's a good one because I feel like more often than not, partners are not hundred percent on the same page. So let's just start off by normalizing that, that, you know, it's not that you, uh, you know, lost the lottery and partners, <laughs> you know, or you have to get a divorce or break up, or you have this horrible, insensitive partner. It's common. It's common for people to not fully understand anxiety, OCD. It's common for partners to bicker about this and see it in a different way. It doesn't mean that you can't fix it though. So let's dive into first different aspects of where it happens when we're working on a problem. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you know, 
you know this is kind of the way that I approach issues, is we first have to know where the problem is at. I say this a lot with our kids and teens. You know, we don't just run into a fire and try to put it out. We want to figure out where is the fire coming from and and be more methodical about it. And the same thing is with our partners. Where where is where is the issue? And I'm going to go over some common areas that tend to be the pain the pain spot, but it, you can have multiple ones. So the first thing is couples argue about why is this happening? Whose fault is it? And I'm saying couples, but it really, it could be whoever you're partnering with. Um, it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It could be that you have your mom living with you or your mom is really involved. So you can partner with a lot of people in your life who are not fully getting it. But really today's conversation is going to be about those immediate supports, not those extra layers of support. So, you know, if you, if grandma comes over like once or twice a week, we're not talking about her today. We're talking about someone who lives in your house, who's really actively involved, or if you have a really active parent, that could be, I do have an episode that dives into how to help relatives in general. Let me find that for you. I actually have two. So episode 50 is explaining OCD to people who don't get it, helping siblings, families, and friends understand OCD. And then I have episode 49, which is the exact same episode, but it's centered around anxiety, explaining anxiety to people who don't get it, helping siblings, family, and friends. So that was a little bit more generic, but the reason why I want to do this episode, because I feel like there's a very specific conversation around partners. And I do have while we're talking about other episodes, I do have some other episodes that I want to highlight that, because I was thinking about this today, I was like, do I want to do another episode on partners? Because I've actually done quite a few, but I feel like I don't have like a really nice general episode on like just disagreeing with partners. And I, I have some, I have an episode on what to do when your partner triggers your child's anxiety or OCD. So either they have, they're the target of emotional contamination, OCD, or they say things that just irritate your child and they like pour gasoline on a burning fire. A lot of fire analogies. (laughs) I don't know why, but that's episode 235, what to do when your partner triggers your child's anxiety or OCD. And you can find all of these episodes. The easiest way to find it is just go to atparentingsurvival.com, my website, natashadaniels.com. It'll bring you there as well. That's a little bit easier to remember. And then if you scroll all the way to the bottom and you go to the search feature, you can type in part of the title that I'm saying, or even the episode number, and it will pop up for you. And you can listen to it right on my website, or you can go to Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts and search my thing. It's just a little bit easier to do it on my website. So I also have episode 40 going way back, how to deal with a partner who doesn't believe in anxiety disorders. So that might be part of the struggle. Oh, and episode 258, which wasn't actually that long ago, maybe like a hundred episodes ago. I guess that is kind of a long time ago. The impact of a child of child anxiety or OCD on marriages. And so that is pretty similar to this one, but we're going to talk about concrete ways to address this with your partner so that it's not impacting your marriage. We don't want it to get to that point. But I just wanted to mention those ancillary episodes that are kind of a great supplement to what we're going to be talking about today. So these are the most common things that I see or that I did see in my therapy practice. Why is this happening? If this is happening, right? So I'm going to just go over them and we're going to dive into them in detail. So like, why is this happening? Whose fault is this? Is this even happening? I don't see it. How to handle it? Stop doing this. And do we need professional help or medication, right? So those are the four areas I'm going to cover. They're not exhaustive. I'm sure that 
We can argue about a zillion things, but these are the most common headlines that I see couples fighting over. So let's start with the first one. Why is this happening? There is a tendency to to get into the blame game when it comes to anxiety and OCD. Well, maybe if you didn't coddle him so much, he wouldn't be like this. Or maybe if you got your OCD under control, our kids wouldn't have this struggle. And so it's unfortunate that a lot of times we take our valuable energy, which is a finite amount of energy, and we use it to argue with each other about whose fault it is. (laughs) Does that happen at your house? That's a waste of energy. And so in the second half of this episode, we'll talk about what to do about these things. And I'm going to revisit all these categories, but I just want to outline and I want to normalize the things that you might be experiencing because you're not alone. And so, I mean, when I normally I would bring couples in or, or parents in the first session or even multi-generational support, you know, like a parent and their parent, I would do an assessment. I always brought in the parent or the caregivers first, my first session. And I wanted to see, I wanted a window into, is any of this stuff going on? Because if any of this stuff was going on, that was divisive. A lot of the work that I was going to be doing with the child was not going to stick. It wasn't going to be effective because there was a lot of cracks in the foundation. So the first step as a therapist for me was, let me see if I can see any really obvious cracks. Sometimes they weren't obvious. And I started to notice them mid-treatment. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a big crack that I didn't notice because the cracks will undo a lot of the work. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't progress if you have a really stubborn partner and you're like, I'm not going to make any headway, Natasha, at all. There are still things that we can do to minimize the damage of you guys kind of count, uh, contradicting each other or even like negating each other's parenting. We'll talk about that. But I would see that in the beginning of sessions where a partner would be like, you know, she just treats him like a baby. These were the most common ones. And, and to be honest, the majority of the time, not to stereotype, but the majority of the time, it was the father who had a harder time with the things I'm going to go over. There were times where I was dealing with the mom who had a harder time with these issues, but statistically based on my own practice, which obviously is, is not a significant research pool, but in my own experience, take that with a grain of salt, it was more often the dad than the mom who was having a hard time with some of these things I'm going to discuss. I did have some moms. I had some grandparents that were in there too. So, you know, you're not alone if you're on the flip side, but looking for someone to blame was a really common thing that I heard a lot. And a lot of the time it was about blaming the parenting style. The second one is this doesn't happen. You're blowing this out of proportion. This doesn't happen. I don't see it. That was a very common thing I would hear a lot. I don't see it. Or the dad would stay silent. And then I would say, what do you think about this? Because I would read the body language and you could tell he was forced to come into the session and he's not saying anything. And I'm picking up on some social, some nonverbal cues that he is not, he's not engaged in this conversation. (laughs) And I would say, you know, I would stop the wife and I would say, what do you think about this? And then more often than not, reluctantly, the dad would say, I don't see any of this. Or he's just a boy, you know, boys will be boys. Or how come when I have him, I don't see that. They don't do that with me, right? And that makes the other parent feel so horrible because they think, well, 
am I doing something that's causing the anxiety or OCD? And I should do a whole episode on how it is common that one parent is going to see more of the struggle than the other parent, because more often than not, there is a go-to parent. And typically that go-to parent is one that understands or empathizes or can relate to the anxiety or OCD. And the child is more comfortable to show all of those things. And there's another parent that maybe they are, they're, they're holding back with that parent because they are concerned about that parent's reaction, all sorts of reasons why they hold back. But a lot of times it's only with one parent and a lot of times it's only with the, the mom. And so unless it's really, really bad and the child can't contain it in the beginning stages, it might just be with one parent. So that's the, that's the second thing I hear a lot of, uh, this isn't happening. I don't see this. Why is it, why is it only happening with her or it's not happening at school and it's not happening with my mom and it's not happening with me only with her. You know, I think it's something she's doing. The third one is how you handle it. And so this is probably the most common category. Sometimes, you know, partners aren't dealing with why this is happening. Um, as far as pointing fingers at each other. And sometimes they don't argue about if this is happening because they cannot both see it. And it's, you know, it's obvious, but they argue the most about how to handle it. And the the third and fourth point that I'm going to bring up this one and the next one are the most common. The first two are the most frustrating probably because you can't even get started because your partner won't even recognize there's, there's a problem. So that's super frustrating, but a lot, a lot more people fall into this third category of how to handle it. And so maybe one parent is more a disciplinarian and we just need to, you know, tough love it. And the other parent is, you know, soaking up skills and reading and listening to podcasts and taking my courses and doing these things and is learning how to systematically do therapeutic approaches at home that are not discipline oriented. Um, they're skill building, they're, um, they're therapeutic. And so you might have a parent who's like, I'm not doing that. Or why are you doing that? It could be the opposite. It might be a parent who feels uncomfortable and wants to rescue your child. And so that is not as common, but that is another thing I've seen in my practice where I have one parent who over empathizes with the child's anxiety or OCD and never got their own help. And they want to cocoon their child and accommodate everything. And you have another parent who maybe doesn't have that history or background, but has, has explored and learned and soaked up information and knows that that's not therapeutic and that's not going to help. And so they might feel like they're really battling two mentally struggling people, right? Their child and their partner. And so the partner's anxiety or OCD is kind of dictating what their child's anxiety or OCD does. And they're parent, parenting it in, the, in an equally dysfunctional way, which isn't helpful. So when parents are basically canceling each other out because, you know, one is, is accommodating and doing things to uh, grow the anxiety or OCD and the other parent is using therapeutic approaches, that can be an uphill battle. Um, or you have one parent using therapeutic approaches and you have one parent who is kind of authoritative, discipline, disciplining it out. And that creates kind of like a, like a disparity in, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's like a disparity in, in the relationship and, and in the treatment. And so the child starts to feel resentful of the parent that is being punitive. And because the other parent is therapeutic and is, you know, validating their struggle and giving them skills, it alienates that parent even more. And it creates um, 
a big break in the, in the family where it's like, you know, me and my child's against my partner. And not that the parent wants it like that, but the other partner is, is disciplining the mental health issue to the point where they're so angry and the other parent is so understanding that it is very hard for that relationship to not get severed. And then that creates a secondary issue because then in the relationship, the marriage relationship or the partner relationship, there's resentment of it's the two of you against me or three of you, however many kids you have. And you know, you're, you're alienating me from the kids. And so it becomes like a, a relationship issue. So that can become a mess at the core. The child doesn't get better. And so that, that's the biggest struggle is through all of these, the, the person who suffers the most is the child or the teenager, because they are not going to get the help that they need because their, their home environment's not therapeutic because they're getting mixed messages and we're never going to get it perfect. We're never going to get a partner who's going to be like fully aligned. I mean, sometimes I hear people say that they do have a partner who's like fully aligned and that is, that's amazing. But I think it's important to have expectations that are realistic to say, you know, I'm not going to fully align with my partner on this possibly, but if we can at least come to an agreement of how we're going to approach this, where we're not doing as much harm to our child and to our relationship, that's what we're striving for. You know, we just want, we want some common ground. So the, the fourth area that I see a lot of bickering over is professional help and medication. And so a lot of times if we have a parent who is resistant, um, they might be concerned about pathologizing their child. They might be, cer- be concerned about a professional coming into their inner circle and telling them how to parent. So they might there might be some pride there. They might be concerned that this is going to go on their child's permanent record. They might have stigma attached to seeing a therapist. It might be culturally part of their belief system. So many things that can come into play about getting professional help. And then medication is another layer of that. If medication is being discussed, you might have someone who is in agreement with professional help, but then when medication is brought up, they put the brakes on. And so when you have one parent who is for medication and one parent who is not, that's really tricky too, because you need to be a united front on that aspect in order to, to make a decision. And that's a hard decision to make, let alone, you know, having one that is, you know, having an opinion that's completely opposite to you. That makes it even harder because it's already a hard decision. All right. So after the break, when we get back, I'm going to talk to you about what do we do with those different topics? How do we, how do we approach those four areas to bridge the gap? It's not that there can't be a gap, but how do we make this a little bit more comfortable for the whole family and move closer to a mutual understanding of how we're going to approach anxiety or OCD? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD course for kids and teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. 
there's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. So let's talk about the first one. Why is this happening? Whose fault is it? Now, a lot of you may not be dealing with that aspect, hopefully, but that is a common initial one. And it can help for the partner to watch videos or read something to learn about anxiety or CD. And if they're not even willing to do that, let's say you're like, they're not going to do it, Natasha, they're not going to do it. Um, there are some couples that probably need to go into like couple therapy uh, or family therapy. If it's like you and your, you know, if it's not a, a couple, if it's you and your parent or you and someone else. Um, but sometimes if communication is so broken down and it's so people are like really stubborn, then you might have to just go into some general family or couple therapy to improve communication before you even get to the things I'm going to be talking about. And that's worthwhile because if there's a crack in the unified front and you can't even broach the subject of the crack, that's going to be, that's actually going to really hinder your ability to help your child. And so getting that help is really important. And we talk about this in my self-care series, you know, that when, when your relationship is not good, you're not getting recharged and you're not getting, um, you know, you're not getting that support, you know, at night when you have a good relationship in a perfect world, you're getting recharged. You know, you can vent to your partner, you guys can commiserate together. Um, there's like, there's some, there's some relief in having someone else with that. You can go to and be like, Oh my gosh, today. Wow. Right. And you're like, yes, it was a lot, <laughs> you know, and that's helpful. And if you don't have a good foundational relationship, not that they're perfect. No relationship is perfect. But if you feel like it is, it's really soured, it is a good investment to get into couples or marriage or family therapy, not with the kids, but you know, with your partner to, to improve that. But moving forward from there, let's say, let's just say that you're able to talk. Um, it can help to give them information and educate them. And I find that different partners want to consume their information in different ways. And so you want to 
see things from their perspective. The very first thing is to not get defensive. And it's hard, 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 hard to not get defensive when someone says you're coddling him too much, or maybe it's because you do this, or maybe it's your OCD, or maybe it's when they're blaming you. That's really hard. Um, It's hard to not get defensive. But a lot of times, and this is so hard. I mean, like, I feel like it's a daily practice for me to not take other people's actions and behaviors and words personally. It's so hard. I mean, I think it's harder for me maybe because I also have social anxiety. And so there's that judgment fear, but I've learned to like take a step back when someone's saying something to me and be like, this is coming from something within them. This is coming from fear. This is coming from desperation or it's coming from their own anger or their own issues, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of times with partners who don't want to acknowledge this issue, it is because they had a vision of what parenting would be like. They had a vision of what their child would be like, and this is not matching. And we all go through a grieving process, but I feel like sometimes it's, it's handled with anger and blame and that's not fair, but it's coming from fear and it's coming from overwhelm. When we get defensive and we start to defend ourselves, we get hooked into that. And now we are part of the problem because now we're just bickering back and forth. It's better to be like, I understand that you feel that way. I don't know how many of us can talk to our par- our partners like that, but it, if you can, um, you kind of diffuse the issue. Uh, but unfortunately, OCD, you know, is is highly genetic and, you know, it doesn't have to be triggered by anything. And here's a short video to watch. And so I think giving them something to watch or listen to or read, whatever you think would be interesting for them can be helpful. And so think about it from their perspective. Do they, would they watch a short video or are they rather, are they someone who would listen to a podcast or are they someone who needs a book? Will they listen more to a man than a woman? That's something too, right? I mean, I've worked with a couple of dads that came into my practice and I could tell they're not going to hear it from me. They don't respect women. I could just tell right away the way they were talking to me that they were uh, demeaning and sexist. (laughs) To be honest, I could sense that. And so I would tell the parent, the other parent, I think maybe you should send them to a male therapist where I think, you know, your husband will actually listen to the male therapist because they're not, I don't think they're going to respect me. That's sad, but true. And even if maybe your husband wouldn't want to admit that or your partner, and this could go vice versa. It might be, you know, your wife or your, your female partner, and they don't want to hear it from a guy because what does he know? He doesn't know. It can go both ways, but who are they going to listen to the most? And so if they're not going to listen to, you know, me, and so you're like, well, I'm not going to send them one of your videos or one of your podcasts because you're female. There are other, there's the OCD stories, which is, um, Ralph's which is, I always get his name confused because he's got like two first names. Um, Stuart Ralph is the host of the OCD stories. He's a guy, he's British. So you might like that. Um, that's another resource. So finding, you know, a male voice, if that is something that they're going to resonate with, or will they read, would they rather read from a researcher? Um, you know, get a book talking back to OCD by John March. It's an old one, but I love that book. Um, a lot of, uh, John Hirschfield's books, are really great for OCD. So if, if you need to find uh, a male, a male voice, find a male voice, but you want to tap into that. We don't want to get into a circular argument about why is this happening? So you might want to eventually get into a response of, it doesn't matter that it's happening. It just is at this point. And now we have to figure out how we're going to help our kids. And so deflecting and not getting hooked in is important. 
Um, if this is happening at all, right? That's the second one. I don't see it. It's not happening to me. It can help. If you have a therapist, it can help for them to have a, a parent session where the therapist can talk to the partner and normalize the fact that kids will show and exhibit certain behaviors to only one parent. I did the lot. I did that a lot in my private practice where I would meet with just one parent and I would, you know, develop rapport and I would validate their struggles. And then I would tell them that it is incredibly common for the child to show those behaviors only to one parent, to do compulsions with only one parent, to have separation anxiety with only one parent. And it's not because that parent is easily walked all over. It is because, you know, one, it's super common to just have one go-to parent. Two, sometimes kids just don't feel like they can be their full self. They're, they're concerned or they're worried. So this idea that they're doing better with me because they don't show me these things is not necessarily true. So if you can, if you can find a therapist, if you're a therapist, if you have one, if you can have parent only session, that could be really helpful. You can ask the therapist, you can say, you know, can you cover these things? Because I feel like, um, coming from me, he's not going to hear it or she's not going to hear it. The third one, how to handle it. I wanted to spend the most time on because that one is the biggest issue. My husband who's passed away. If you've listened to my episodes, you know, we were never a hundred percent on the same page. He used to always say, just in general, he'd say, if you're not going to row with me, at least stop rowing. I'm sure there's a better expression. <laughs> I should Google it um, because all of his expressions came from somewhere else. <laughs> all of his jokes, everything. And because I'm not really good with pop culture or quotes, I would always think it was coming from him. And then I would hear it somewhere else. And I'm like, oh, that's what he says. And then I'd be like, you didn't get that. Like, you didn't make that up. That was from someone else. He just had a really good memory and was very like witty, but he would always say like, if you're not going to row with me, then just don't row against me. Right. And I feel like, and he wouldn't say that about my parenting. Um, he would just talk about my kids in general or like whatever we were talking about or people, if he'd be venting about work, he would say that. But I do think that that really is appropriate for what we're talking about because the goal isn't necessarily for you guys to see things equally, but it's, can we get a beat on how we're going to parent? My husband, when he was alive, you know, I feel like he didn't, he didn't invest in any energy in learning about anxiety or OCD at all. And I think part of it was, he was like, well, what can I bring to the table? You're a child therapist. I definitely, definitely not my thing. So I will take care of, you know, their math homework and I will take care of, you know, the trash and, you know, going to work and you're going to deal with that. <laughs> and so most of the time I felt like he didn't counteract what I did, he, but I felt alone. I felt like this is, this is solely my job, which is actually a better place to be than a parent that actively is overly involved and is negating everything you do. That is 10 times worse. I appreciated that he would let me just do it. Sometimes he would lose his cool though. And he would say things that were not therapeutic to my kids or would um, hurt their self-esteem. And then I felt like I couldn't approach him and say it because I would hurt his self-esteem. And so it became really hard. I had to come up with ways to, to try to teach him how to handle our kids in a in a better way without him getting defensive. And, and so a lot of times I would start with, you know, I know that he, he was like, you know, not listening and he was jumping all over the couch. And I get that, that frustrates me too. Like so, it's so overwhelming. So I start with like validating, which I know is a really hard place to start because most of the time we want to be like, stop doing that. 
or don't tell him he's a horrible person or, you know, don't hit him or don't, you know, like we want to just move right into the, why did you do that? And a lot of couples who are a little bit more dysfunctional, they'll argue right in front of their kids about how to handle their kids. And to me, that is the messiest of parenting because your child sees that you're not on the same page. And so I would start with validating that it's a hard situation. Like I get that was a really hard situation. And then I'd say, you know, I notice when I'm in those situations, the way that he responds the best is when I blah, 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 blah. And that, and that did not go well a lot of the times with my husband, but eventually like a couple of days or weeks later, I would see that he would take my suggestions, but he couldn't take it right away because he was stubborn, you know, and like, I'm not going to do what you tell me, but it was a seed that I planted. And then eventually he would. And so learning how to talk to your partner in a way that is not blaming, even if they're blaming you, which is super hard to do to take the higher road and to come up with a plan. Sometimes that plan may be that you're going to handle all the other things outside of our kids and I'm going to handle their anxiety and OCD. And that's okay. You both don't have to do everything. And I think sometimes we think we have to be a united front. And so we both have to parent the same way, handle everything together. And really sometimes our partners do not have the skill and the patience to handle our kids' anxiety or OCD. And our child may not take it from them. And so it's how do we define our roles? And so you might want to sit down and say, let's define our roles. I sometimes call it seesaw parenting when one parent swings far to the left and the other parent swings far to the right. And so you'll see this where one parent is parenting and maybe one parent is coddling and the other parent is is like disciplining. And so the, the parent that is disciplining triggers the parent that thinks that's too harsh. And so they go way over to the far other side and they wind up coddling. And then the parent that sees them coddling goes way over to the other side because they feel like I need to toughen up my kid because she's over, she's babying them. And I see this with anxiety and OCD as well, that one parent can be doing a lot of therapeutic stuff and working on it. And the other parent gets frustrated and feels like they just need a heavy hand. And so they are going to the other extreme or they take a little bit of information like, oh, I just need to expose them to the things that they can't tolerate. And they don't understand ERP exposure response prevention therapy. And they do just a little bit and they're, they're not doing it correctly. And they're creating a rift with their child and, and their partner. So if you have good communication skills, it might be worth sitting down and saying us, you know, canceling each other out and doing seesaw parenting is one frustrating for both of us and not good for our relationship. And two, it's confusing our kids. And then our kids wind up not having anyone help them with their anxiety or OCD or parenting in general. So let's divvy out the roles and it might be very concrete. It might be, you know, you're going to, you know, do the trash and you're going to take them to soccer practice and you're going to help them with their math homework and you're going to whatever. And I'm going to take them to therapy and I will deal when they're having meltdowns around anxiety or OCD. And it might be very clear cut or it might be a little bit messier, but you're defining who's going to go in. One thing that I did talk to my husband about was if I'm already dealing with someone's anxiety or OCD in the house, I didn't want him to pipe in. And he was a bit resistant to be honest about this. And so I'm not painting a picture of this went easily because it didn't, it was messy all the way up until the time he died. You know, I mean, we were a human duo (laughs) with our faults. So it's, it's messy. It's not like you're going to, you know, clean this up and it's going to be seamless, but I really didn't want my child to feel overwhelmed with two parents trying to help them at the same time. And so 
if we had a rule, or at least I tried to have a rule that if he was already dealing with it, I wouldn't jump in. Even if I wanted to jump in or I felt like I could do it better, he was already handling it because that overwhelms kids when we have two parents jumping in at the same time, whether that's jumping into discipline or jumping in to help their anxiety or OCD. It's, it's a lot. And so maybe you sit there with your partner and you go, if you got it, I will be quiet. If I've got it, you be quiet. If you have an issue with something I'm doing, we'll talk about it in the bedroom later without you know our kids being privy to that conversation, vice versa. So create some basic rules of, we're not going to argue in front of the kids about anxiety or OCD or parenting, and I'm not going to undermine you, and I'm not going to take over or piggyback on whatever you're doing in the moment. If you can at least get to that agreement, your child or teenager is going to thank you because the pressure that we add, sprinkle on to their already, you know, struggling selves are all of those things. You know, kids pick up on the the lack of alignment. They pick up on the disagreements. And when it's really in their face, they wind up struggling more or kids can panic more when both parents are trying to help them at the same time. That can be too intense. And so we want to pull back and have only one parent. So coming up with at least some sort of plan on how to handle it. The other thing that can be helpful is if you have a therapist, it can be really helpful to, again, have your other, have your partner come into some of the therapy sessions and do not participate because when you say, you know, you need to come in to talk to the therapist and the therapist wants to talk to you and then you're in the session, it can very quickly feel like you and the therapist are ganging up on your partner. And so, you know, if you're sitting there in session and you're like, you know, tell him, tell him why we need to approach it this way or, and then he does this and that's not helpful. That's not going to make the, the other partner happy with therapy. They might actually just want therapy to be over. Um, and they're not going to be happy with you. They're going to feel ganged up on. So it's much, much better in a perfect world for you to talk to the therapist about the struggles and then have the therapist talk directly to your partner without you there. That could be really helpful. Now, if the therapist wants to discuss the dynamics between the two of you and the other partner isn't going to feel like you're aligned with the therapist, you know, then it's fine. But I do feel like sometimes if you have a very uninvolved partner and you've been the one going to therapy all the time, they're going to feel ganged up on. So much better for that therapist to develop their own rapport and their own relationship with that partner and then address these issues so that they feel like you're the partner feels like you're, you're hearing them and you're not just a mouthpiece for their wife, which can be, or their husband, it can go both ways, I think is important. The other thing is maybe, you know, show them a video or have them read a book, you know, and, and ha- educate them on, this is why we're doing this, or this is why this approach is helpful without those blaming sentences, which oh, can be so, so hard. But I know I've talked to dads and I've said things like, I don't want to get into whether spanking or not spanking is helpful or discipline is helpful or not helpful, but I do know what will work and what won't work when it's anxiety or OCD. And so it's not about a philosophical difference. It's what will help your child with anxiety or OCD in this moment and what won't and having just a genuine conversation around that. And so sometimes videos, um, YouTube videos, podcasts, books can help bring that information in and can be helpful. The last one, right, when they don't want professional help or medication, those are two separate issues. That can be a hard thing. And maybe you want to talk about what are the reasons 
why they don't want professional help. And then address those very specific reasons because it can be for lots of reasons. They might say, you know what, we can't afford it. And so now we're going to have a conversation about the budget. And so that conversation can look very different than my whole family thinks therapy is ridiculous. And what would I tell my mom if we send my son to therapy? I just, you know, it's embarrassing. That's a different conversation. So tapping into where is the barrier around professional help or where is the barrier around medication or do they need to talk to the psychiatrist? Are they concerned about side effects? That's legitimate. You know, maybe they need to talk directly to the psychiatrist. Um, but there is, there's, resist, there's always resistance for a reason. People don't just resist for resistance sake. There's, there's something underneath that. And if we don't hit the thing that's causing the traction and the resistance, well, it's really not traction, it's just resistance then we're not, we're going to be missing the mark because it's not like there's just this ubiquitous like response to a partner who doesn't want professional help. Just tell them this. Well, it's different for each partner, why they don't want professional help. And I've seen that in my practice, like all sorts of reasons, pride. Um, they're worried. I'm going to tell them how to raise their kid. They're worried. I'm going to hear something that is going to be reportable to child protective services. They could be paranoid about that, like all sorts of reasons. And once you know those reasons, you're able to kind of bring some comfort and reassurance that won't happen or that broaching that well, we don't have to tell your parents. Or maybe you agree not to tell the, the grandparent. And so you address that and you reassure your husband. But there are all sorts of reasons why there are these struggles in general. And there is a way to move somewhere in the middle, to find out where the struggles are, where the beliefs are, where the fear is, and address those at the core without you getting defensive in general. So I know that it's tricky. We do talk about this in my free series, which you can join at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. We talk about self-care and the third and final video is about your support system. And we do talk about your partners and how to help with that. And that might be a kind of a cool series to take with your partner. I've actually had a lot of parents in the AT parenting community, my community, my membership community who have signed up and then have had their partners like join our member Facebook group and have had their partners participate in our support group, zoom calls and our classes. And even if you have like kind of a somewhat resistant partner, you can just be like, can you just sit in and listen to the zoom call? And it really helps. We actually had so we have monthly Zoom support group calls in my AT Parenting community, which um, is not open. It, it opens about three or four times a year, maybe five times a year when the wait list gets too big. You can learn more about that at atparentingcommunity.com. But we do uh, Zoom, Zoom classes every week and we have a monthly Zoom support group call. And we have a few dads in there who will like, we'll have couples, you know, so there's a couple of screens I see on Zoom where there's a couple but it was interesting because this past week we had quite a few dads that spoke up and asked questions and brought kind of a male perspective. And I really appreciated it. And I think it's really actually helpful for the other dads who are listening. Cause I would say we had probably about five or six dads in that, in that, on that call. I just thought that was really helpful for them to hear other men, you know, struggling with discipline or disrespect or when is it anxiety and OCD and when is it behavior and how do I handle it? And I just thought it's great for them to hear from other guys too. And so getting that extra support can be really helpful and normalizing. And, um, and I think for us as women, just speaking directly to women out there, I think sometimes 
we can get so frustrated, which is totally understandable. And we just want, we just want what's best for our kids. And we can see them as like a, a barrier to our kids' recovery or getting better. And if they could just go with everything that we're doing, or if they could just help more, it is helpful and incredibly hard to pause that and look at it from their perspective. You know, why, why are they responding this way? What's underneath all that? Because it's very easy to get annoyed by it. Um, and it's very hard to kind of put ourselves in their shoes in that moment. And the last aspect is being realistic with yourself and maybe lowering your expectations. And like I said, with my husband, I had to recognize, um, and we were still in the process when he like suddenly died, but it was, I was starting to try to have to recognize that there are certain skill sets that he just does not have. He had a million other skill sets. I mean, that I did not have that like when he died, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do any of this stuff that he is so good at? But the kids were not one of them. Emotional vulnerability was not one of them. Communicating with the kids was not one of them. Having patience wasn't always one of them. And so what are some things that we have to accept in our partners in general, in our relationships, right? Uh, I was actually talking to my daughter about this the other day. And I was saying, you'll never find, <laughs> I guess it's like a weird thing to say to her, but we were talking about relationships and she's getting older. You know, she's 12 now. We have these deeper philosophical conversations and I feel like we're planting seeds, you know, for, for their future relationships. And we've been talking a lot. I've been talking a lot with her about how like she storms off and then she wants me to find her, you know, like if she disappears, I'm supposed to recognize that she's gone and I'm supposed to, you know, psychically know that she's having a problem with me and I need to go find her. I need to hug her and tell her it's okay. And and sometimes I don't realize that she's upset or sometimes I feel like she needs her space. And and lately I've been purposely not seeking her out to make it better because I felt like it's very one way and that if she is upset and then chooses to, you know, storm off, it's not healthy for the other person to always have to go and find her and chase her. And so we were having this conversation where I was saying, you know, I'm going to change this dynamic a little bit because I don't want this to be something that is going to happen in your future relationships with your roommates, with your partner when you grow up. You know, I don't want it always to be that you get upset with someone and then they need to come and find you, but you're never the one to try to fix it. You're never the one to come back and, and make a repair. And so we were talking about relationships and I was saying, you know, partners, like when, when you get married and have a husband, they're never going to be hundred percent perfect. Just like you're never going to be hundred percent perfect. She does have a lot of perfectionism and, and high expectations for people in relationships. And I was just saying to her that they're going to be amazing in this area and that area, and then not so much in this area. And that we have to accept that we're never going to find someone who's going to be hundred percent amazing in all areas that relationships take work and negotiating and acceptance and it was definitely something that I struggle with when my husband was alive, just accepting the areas where he wasn't going to be great at and, and feeling really just overwhelmed and disappointed in that. But if someone doesn't have the skills, they don't have the skills. And I mean, my argument when he was alive would be like, well, go get some skills, <laughs> you know, but now having a lot of space, it's been almost three years, recognizing that there were some limits and that that's okay. Sometimes just accepting that your partner has some limits being empathetic and validating their struggles and trying to find that middle ground where your child's not feeling the impact. That's really the ultimate goal is your child doesn't feel the impact and having some, some compassion 
for your partner not not fully being there. And I know when you're in the thick of things, that's really, really hard to do. And if it's really toxic, then you just need couples therapy, you know, to see where you're going to go with that. Because there are some relationships that are, that are, are beyond repair. Um, or there's things that you should not have to tolerate when it comes to relationships that go way above and beyond and move into the abuse category. But we're talking about the nuances of just accepting your child's anxiety or OCD or being emotionally available or not thinking you can discipline everything out of your child or feeling defensive or feeling like you can never do anything right. We're talking about those things. So I hope that you found this helpful or at least some food for thought. I do hope that you're going to join me in my series at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. If you find my podcast in general helpful, I would love if you can hit a star or leave a review. Actually, I haven't read a review lately. I was looking at it because I was like, I normally like to read a review at the end to show my gratitude because I really do appreciate, I read every single review and I really appreciate all of the kind words and insight that you guys share about how this podcast is helping you in your life. And so if you've been listening for a while and you've never written a review and you're like, I've been listening for three years and I love this podcast and you haven't written a review, go over to wherever you consume your podcast and write one. I would really appreciate it. And I'll probably be reading it next time. So I hope that you find, I I do batch these. (laughs) So I'll be reading it a month, a month later because I am actually pretty far ahead right now. Yay me. I hope that you do find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 